Before we jump into the message, just to understand that it's amazing that how music moves us emotionally and, and what it can do uh, to tell a story. In fact, uh, I don't know if this happens to you, but when you're in the car or something, the radio, a song comes on you had not heard in a while, and it instantly takes you back to a time and a place, and m- memories just come flooding in. That's the power of music, and it has its ability to do certain things. God can use music to, to carry us through a difficult time in our life if there's a season that we're going through and there's a song that just you sort of hold on to. God can use music for that. Um, he uses it to lead us into worship like we just did and, and to get before his throne and, and remember how great and awesome and loving our God is. So God uses music in, in a bunch of ways. I don't know if you noticed that the music you choose sort of matches your mood and it has a, a way to affect our mood. And you can even tell a lot about a person based on what's on their playlist. Isn't that right? So I want to find out some things about you guys. I'm just kidding. I'm going to tell you about me. I'm going to tell you about my playlist. Um, so I have several on, on, that I listen to and I go to. My, my number one is worship. I mean, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to say that. But I got about 12 songs that I just wear out in worship to God. Uh, and I love doing that. But I got some other playlists, and I hope you're not offended by them. Um, I listen to classic rock. I love listening to classic rock. Um, I do. Um, I listen to uh, 80s rap. Back when rap was like, kind of cool and wooka 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 and all that stuff, you know, and uh, been known to beatbox a time or two. Um, I listen to Weezer. Anybody listen to Weezer? Okay. All right. Right on. You're my people. And uh, and I also, uh, 80s, you know, anything 80s I'll listen to. So that, there you go. That's a little bit about me. That's what's on my playlist. Uh, you can tell a lot about a person by that. But as we study the life of Jonah, we're going we're gonna to ask uh, we're going to use song to tell the story. And, and so today, obviously, we're talking about running. That the story of Jonas's life, we're going to kind of play it out through music. And, um, and we're going to talk about that. And we're going to find out over these next five weeks that his story is a lot like our story. That Jonah's life has ups and it has downs. It has, you know, mistakes and regrets. It has tears and, and, and anxieties and all these kind of things we deal with. And, but beyond that, and just, just uh, identifying with Jonah's story and his journey, we're also going to see the very nature and character of God played out. And we're going to find out who more He is and what's on the heart of God. And I pray that as we go through this series, not only will it help us navigate these up and downs of life, but ultimately that we'll see the hand of God at work in our lives. And we'll see, more importantly, the character and the nature of God and how He's at work in the world and what matters most to Him. So let's dive in. Let's dive into Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. And it says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Next verse. Go. Go to the great city of Nineveh. And I'm going to stop right there. So some people have an information or a revelation problem in that uh, they don't know exactly. Maybe this feels like you. You don't know exactly what God wants to do with your life. You're not sure exactly how to obey Him. You're not sure what your normal decisions are supposed to look like on a day-to-day basis. You're just not sure how God is, is supposed to be interacting and changing your normal everyday life. And, and if that's you, um, that's a revelation problem. And I'm really glad that you're here because this is a great place to hear the revelation of God. We believe it's been revealed through His Word. And so as, as we teach on His Word, we're, we're hearing the voice of God in our hearts and in our minds as we're, as we're looking into His Word together. And so I'm glad that you're here. But I want to encourage you also, if you feel like, man, I'm just not sure how God's at work in my life. I'm not sure what He wants from me. I'm not sure what, uh, what my life's supposed to look like. That God is not trying to hide His will from you and I. 
that he is not trying to hide himself from you and I, but that he is a God who reveals himself through creation and through his son Jesus and through his written word and that we can know he is a knowable God because he's revealed himself to us. And our part is to press into that and to listen to his word and to read and to study his word, to be around his people and hear his voice through these things that he's given us to hear him. And so if that's you, man, I'm glad that you're here. Also, I want you to see something, though. Jonah didn't have a revelation problem, did he? Jonah didn't have a... Uh, a fogginess or, or unclarity about what God wanted from his life. God, let's go to verse 2 again. I started to read it. God told him, go. Go and preach to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. He knew exactly what he wanted to do. In fact, in that passage, the word go in the original language means get up and go now. It was, it was a direct command, like you need to leave immediately and go preach to the city. I've got purpose and plan for you. It's time for you to go. I don't know about you, but I relate to that because I don't know everything that God wants for my life, and you probably don't feel that way either, but there are some things that we know that God wants us to do. In fact, if you've been around church a while and, and been following God for a while, you probably could say there's a lot of, I know the things I'm supposed to be doing. So our problem, if we have a problem, isn't that we ha have a revelation problem. Our problem is that we have a, a different sort of problem. We're going to get to that in just a second. In fact, look at what Jonah's response is to God's command. It says, but Jonah, what's the word? Ran. He was running down a dream. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, which he, which he found a ship boarded for that port. After paying the fare, he went on board and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, if you get the point that Jonah ran, you got the main idea. But I also want to set the scene because it's important. Uh, we, we know from 1 Kings that Jonah was a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. The, the, the people of God were divided into two kingdoms, and he was up there. And it was the, about the 8th century B.C., the time of Jeroboam II was the king. And um, God had called Jonah in, from that place in Israel to go about 500 miles northeast into Mesopotamia where where uh, Nineveh was. It was in the kingdom of Assyria. And so he was supposed to head that direction, but instead Jonah was in Israel, and he headed west to the coast where the Mediterranean Sea, found a ship, and he headed for Tarshish, which was the, one of the farthest known places in the western civilized world in, in his day, and he headed the exact opposite direction. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? I think that's a really important question to ask. Because you and I might find ourselves running from time to time. And the question is, why are we running from God? Or why are we running? It's said that he flee, was fleeing from the Lord. And, and it wasn't that he didn't hear from God. It's what, what the problem was is he didn't like what he heard from God. He just didn't like it. He didn't like the Ninevites. He didn't like the Assyrians. And so he didn't like the people there. And there's three main reasons that you could pick for why he ran. And so I'm going to walk you through three of those quickly. And the first one would simply be this, that the Ninevites were some scary people. They were brutal. They were violent. They were wicked and malicious people. And this Assyrian empire conquered with an iron fist, and they ruled Cruelly, And in fact, there's a couple records of different kings. One king was known to rip the lips off of their captives. Another was known to tear the hands off of people. Another literally flayed people alive, ripping their skin off of them. 
and they would stack the skulls of the victims in piles in their cities. I mean, they were a cruel, wicked empire. And Jonah gets the news from God as, hey, that's where I want you to go. And I promise you, self-preservation kicked in right there. He's like, I, I don't think so. I know what those people do. I know how brutal they are. Perhaps that's why he headed in the opposite direction. Another theory is this, and I think it's a good one. The Assyrian Empire had, had risen to power, but in this time, in Jonah's day, they'd actually shrunk in power, and they're in decline, and some of their other enemies on their other borders were pressing in and taking ground, and, and they're in a state of, of, of decay. And Jonah was enjoying that. He liked that they were down. He liked that they were getting conquered. He liked that they were getting what they deserved. And so while they were down, while they were getting kicked, Jonah wanted to just enjoy that. Do we ever do that? We, we like when our enemies are down. How many of you smile just a little bit when Georgia Tech loses a football game? I know you do. I know you do. Thanks, Tom. I know you do. It feels good. It makes you feel good inside to see your enemy suffer. And there's part of me that thinks Jonah had that feeling too. Is Man, I'm just going to enjoy. I don't want to go to them. I don't want to help them, God. I don't want to do anything for these Ninevites. They're getting what they deserve. Third possibility is right along with that. Since the Assyrians were down, since they were in decay, they had been a prideful, arrogant, conquering people, but they've been humbled and they've been brought low and then their pride was replaced with, with some sort of urgency and desperateness. And in that moment, Jonah might have thought, listen, if I go and I preach and I tell them about this great God, that he's giving them a chance to repent, and if they repent and they turn, that maybe God will actually save them. And I don't want that. I want them to suffer the consequences of their wickedness. I want them to pay the price for their disobedience. I want them to get theirs. I don't want them to turn to the living God and find His mercy and His freedom and His goodness. I don't want that. I want to see them pay. There's three compelling reasons why Jonah didn't want to go. You can take your pick. It might be all of the above. But the bottom line is Jonah ran. He knew exactly what God wanted for his life, and he did exactly the opposite that God asked for him. You know, you think about running from God. Isn't that a silly notion? I mean, we, we read that from Jonah. Like, where does he think he's going? Does God not live in Tarshish? Is he not the omnipotent, almighty, all-powerful, eternal, everlasting God who sees all things and know all things and created all things? He's everywhere and every time and every place. You can't bind up God. You can't run from him. And yet we do the same thing, don't we? try to run. We try to put him aside. We try to put him out of mind. We're just going to ignore him. We're going to pretend like he doesn't exist. We're going to just stay in our lane and maybe God will leave us alone and we're acting like he's not even there. You know what made me think of is every year we do a fishing trip uh, in the North Georgia Mountains. We do trout fishing and uh, when you go trout fishing up there, they, they, power bait works okay but really the key thing, the ticket you want to have in order to catch trout up there is you want to have crickets crickets and so you get a whole before you go to camp before you do anything you stop at the bait store and you get you some tubes of crickets okay and the the key to getting a cricket is you don't leave those tubes in your car for about a week afterwards because let me tell you something there ain't nothing stankier than some dead crickets 
Ugh. It's bad. Anyway, you get your crickets and you go fishing and you put one on the hook at a time and you're fishing and there's a little hole in the tube that you get them out. But every once in a while you kind of drop it or you, you're not paying attention or someone's catching a fish and more than one cricket will pop out. Or if you're like me, the bottom pops off and you got a whole problem. And it's hilarious watching these crickets try to run away from you because you're going, I see you. I still see you. I'm going to grab you. You're going back in the tube, brother. And yet they run. And then it dawned on me as I was thinking about this message, I was thinking about Jonah, and I'm looking at these crickets, and I'm thinking, they have a better chance getting away from me than we do of running from God. There is no running from the living God. He is right there among us. So running is a desperate act when we're out of options. And guys, when we're running... It's not that we have a revelation problem. It's that we've got a running problem. We just don't want to do what God has asked us to do. So let's take a look at that. I think if we're going to talk about running from God, let's look at three specific ways that we could end up running from God that we want to try to avoid if we're going to be uh, compliant to God's will in our lives. The first thing is that we might run from conviction. And I believe there's too many that are running from conviction from the Lord these days. That we don't want to live by God's rules and we don't want to listen to what He has to say and we certainly don't want to obey what He wants us to do. And listen, that's certainly prevalent outside the church. But let's can be honest, there, that is happening in our lives as well at times, right? That we just don't want to do what God has asked us to do. And there's a conviction problem. We might want the, you save me, Jesus, but not the, I will follow you, Jesus. We might want the benefits and the reward of knowing Christ, but not the commitment and the inconvenience of following Christ. You know, <clears throat> we do some weddings here, and when we do, I always, I've committed myself to doing premarital counseling. Uh, when we do those, it helped Gabriel and I before we got married, so I'm convinced it's helpful. But, but it's funny to me, I see this a lot when it comes to premarital counseling. Because everybody shows up for premarital counseling goo-goo-eyed. And they're holding hands. And they're the sugar bear. And my sugar plum. And they're all, and, and I'm like, I'm glad that you guys feel the way you feel. And I'm glad, and all they see are the benefits. Man, it's going to be so great. And my life's going to be so much better. And you're going to make me so happy. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Sounds good. And there's some truth in that. I mean, marriage is wonderful. It's amazing. But my job in premarital counseling is to help them see there's things that they need to work on. There's things if they don't start correcting in their lives is going to make their spouse's life miserable and vice versa. So here's the thing with correction, guys. If we can't admit that we have faults, we are running from conviction. If we can't admit that we need to change, every single one of us have things in our life that God wants to change, we're running from conviction. If we can't admit that we need to bend our lives to the will of Almighty God, that it's what He says go, and that maybe He should call the shots, that we are running from conviction. When I hear people say, man, it's my job that's messed up, and I wish my spouse would get it figured out, and my neighbors are all jacked up, and our country's going to you know where, and those are all the problems, but you know, maybe the problem is you. Because the only person God's conviction can change in your life is you. 
You're the only one that you can change you. In fact, you're the only one that you can change. And so cooperating with God, conviction is just cooperating with God that he might change us from the inside out. And when we run from it, I'm convinced this is why so many broken relationships exist in our day. It's because we're not willing to allow God to transform our attitudes and our actions and our behaviors to become more like Jesus Christ. And I'm convinced that's why some people, they're adverse to reading this book and getting alone with God and listening to what he has to say. Because when they have, they've picked it up and they've read it and they didn't like what they heard. They didn't like what they saw in their own heart. And so they drop it like a hot iron and say, I'm going to wait a while. That burned. I'm convinced that's why some people just don't come to church or don't come to church very often is because when they come, God does this thing in their heart and presses in and says, all right, let me, let me work on that. Let me change that. Let me renew you in that. Let me give you hope in that. But let me, let me do some work that's going to get you out of where you are comfortable. And most people run for that. Now, a few of you sickos love a good foot stomping. When I bring it and I, and I try to, or Jeff brings it, or whoever's preaching gives a hard message and really challenges us to grow, some of you guys are like, man, pastor, that was great. Thanks for stomping on my toes today. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? I love you, but what is wrong with you? I mean, that is the right attitude to have, but most people flee from that. We don't want to hear what we're doing wrong. And I'll just tell you where our culture is. We'd rather use positive thinking than go to divine inspiration. That grieves my heart to see that. I grieve on on social media when I hear people say, I'm going to send happy thoughts instead of praying prayers. What is that? We'd rather get advice from a Hollywood talk show host who's in a Hollywood bubble that doesn't know the first thing about bending their lives to the will of God instead of finding an older couple who have learned to love each other and love God and have been faithful to each other, and they're the ones we should seek out godly advice from. Because they might say some things that cause us to change. People ran. From conviction. In that day, people ran from conviction. In Jeremiah's day, he's a different prophet. Listen to these words. I think they're very powerful. He says, To whom can I speak and give warning? Who will listen to me? He's prophesying, and no one will pay him attention. Their ears are closed so they cannot hear. Listen to this. The word of the Lord is offensive to them, they find no pleasure in it. We don't like what it says. And if we don't like what it says and we don't do what it says, we're running from that conviction from God. And so we think we can make a deal. Maybe I'll just take the, maybe I'll just take the love and the forgiveness and the home in heaven one day, and I'll call the shots here on earth till I get there. And I'm going to just tell you something. I don't think that's the deal. I don't think that's the deal. A faith without conviction is a faith not worth having. I don't really believe that. Where I pray, and this is my prayer for our church, for me and my family, is that we would just be people that said, listen, God, if you say it, I'll do it. God, if you say it, I'll do it. And I'm just going to let you know ahead of time, God, if, if, if you say I need to do something, I'm going to do it. And, and so you, we open our Bibles and we pray and say, okay, God, today, instead of listening to a sermon and say, man, I wish so-and-so would, would listen to that, man, maybe God's trying to tell you something there. 
or instead of opening up the Bible and reading, man, man, our world needs to hear that. No, what is God saying to you today? And you open your Bible and say, God, whatever I need to conform in my life, whatever I need to cut out, whatever I need to bring in, whatever I need to change, I'm just going to let you know, as I read it and you speak, I'll obey. Man, that's not running from conviction. That's running to conviction. In fact, I want to put feet to that. If you're not in a Bible reading plan right now, as we leave today, we've got some handouts. We're going to, I'm going to challenge you for 30 days to be in God's Word, okay? If you miss a day, don't drop it. But for 30 times, you get along with God and you pray that prayer before you open your Bible and say, God, I am desperate for you to speak to me. Would you change me from the inside out? Would you make me into your image? Would you transform me to the image of Christ? Would you take away the junk in me that I don't even like myself and make me more like you? And then you read, and you let the Spirit of the living God change you. And that's running to conviction instead of from it. I also think as we run, sometimes we run from the cause. We run from the cause. Too many of us are running from the cause. What does that mean? That's exactly what Jonah was doing. Man, God was very specific. Look, I want you to serve me in this way. And Jonah said, no, I don't think so. He hits the eject button. He says, I'm out of here. You know, uh, watching that video was really pretty cool. I know some of y'all didn't know the faces like I did, but it was really cool to watch 13 years of different people God has brought into our church family, and they've served Him, and they've sacrificed, and they dedicated themselves. And It was just beautiful to watch, and so many of those people God used in, in great ways to build His kingdom literally right here. He's doing that with you guys today. But I also found it a little bit heartbreaking knowing that some of the people on those videos used to be dedicated to Christ, they used to give of themselves to his work, that they would sacrifice, that other people might know Jesus and grow in their faith in him, and yet they've just checked out. They've dropped out. They're no longer living their life for the greatest cause that there ever is, that people might know our great God. It makes me sad because I can't choose that for them. I can't choose it for you. You can't choose it for me. In only we, Each one of us, we just have to choose for ourselves. Are we going to be about the cause of Jesus Christ? Are we, do we think that's a worthy cause? Do we think that's sacrificing for? Do we think that's giving up some of our time that we might serve God? I love how Joshua said it. When he was nearing the end of his, his leadership as God's chosen man, he he gathered the Israelites together and he said, listen, I'm not sure what you guys are going to do. But he says this, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we're going we're gonna to serve. We're going to sacrifice. We believe this cause is so great. We're going to serve. And he chose for him and his family. He said, wait, he chose for his kids. Wouldn't that push him away? I don't think it has to. I think Joshua knew for his family what, what is true for every single one of us. Listen to this, that you and I need the cause more than the cause needs us. You and I need the cause way more than it needs us. God can accomplish his purposes sovereignly, whether you and I choose to cooperate with his workings in this world or not. He will, his will shall be done, but he delights to use his people, and he needs, we need him way more than he needs us. Here's why we need it. If we don't give our lives to a greater cause, the cause of Christ, we'll end up giving our lives for ourselves. 
the default. If we don't just say, God, I'm going to choose to live my life for you and for your glory, we'll end up living it for us in our glory. And let me tell you something. We make terrible deities. We were never wired to live for ourselves. This isn't about us. We were wired and made that we might bring glory to another, the one who's worthy of all glory. And if our lives are given to that, we find the fulfillment God intended. And if we don't, we'll always miss it. And when you and I give ourselves to the cause, guess what? Life makes sense. Life just starts making sense. So here's what, here's what I want to challenge you to do. It's, it's really the only next step on your Connect card. If, if Crossroads is your church home, whether you've been coming two weeks or two years, and if you're not connected to a place to serve, and maybe you've been waiting for someone to invite you, can I just say I'm inviting you to a place of service? And I believe if God's speaking in your heart that he's inviting you to a place of service. And so on that card there, there's several options. You can say, listen, just, just sign me up to help. I want to give some of my time to the cause, the greatest cause there is. And you check one of those, and we'll follow up with you this week. Don't run. From your purpose. Don't run from the reason God created you. Be a part of what He's doing on this earth and join the cause. Lastly, there's people that are running from Christ. They're running from Christ. There's too many people. If just one person was running from the love of the Heavenly Father, that's too many, isn't it? We, we do a closed closet once a month, and I'm so thankful for it. And uh, we did it yesterday, and I got to talk to some people about their faith. And one, one sticks out to me. It was a young man, 27 years old, intelligent, articulate, well-read. He's studied philosophy and religion and, and just a breadth of, uh, you know, just a, just a wealth of information. And he knew here what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He knew it right here. But his heart was far from God. In fact, I'm not making this up. His hat had 666 on the, on the hat. He had a pagan symbol on his shirt. He had tattoos of demonic uh, things on his arm. And he's running from God. And I said, man, I, I'd love to pray with you guys. I just want to pray that God would speak to you. And he said, listen, I, I appreciate you asking, but I, I don't feel comfortable with you praying. I said, okay, I respect that. But I had to tell him, listen, you need to know something. There is a heavenly Father who loves you. He loves you. But it breaks my heart to see one running from God like that. He had he had heart, hard heart that, that life may have given him. Maybe that's where you're at, that life has beaten you up, and your heart's been closed off to the love of God. He had some intellectual barriers. Maybe you've got some questions you don't have answered, and you've let that keep you from the love of the Father. He had other things he was pursuing in his life, and, he, and he, he thought maybe he could find happiness and contentment in other places, and maybe that's been you. And he said, I've looked for it in all these other things, but I'm, I'm coming up empty. It reminds me of a story in the scriptures that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15. It's called the prodigal son. The story goes like this. There's a father with two sons, and the younger son didn't want to wait around for dad to die. In fact, he said, Dad, I just want your inheritance. I give a rip about you. I want your money. I think I can do my life better than you're doing it. And so he takes, in his pride, he takes the money and he runs. And he goes and pursues other things that he thinks will make him happy. He's got the money, he's got the prestige, and he's got nothing and he's empty. And he runs out of his money and he finds himself wallowing in pig slop. 
And yet his pride keeps him in the slop. And he's putting off a decision he knows he needs to make. He puts off the decision of turning back to the Father. And after a while, and it doesn't say how long, but finally he gets tired of being in the slop. And he finally decides it's time. And this is what the scripture says. He says, I'm going to go back to my dad. So it says he got up and he went to the Father. I love this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. Man, what you got to understand is this. If you have been running from God and from Christ and the life that he has for you, I want you to know something. God is running after you, and he's chasing you. And you, all you have to do to come into the arms of the Father to find his forgiveness and his love and his acceptance, a new identity in him, all that can be found not by changing your life, not by getting it all figured out, not by having all the answers, but just stop running and turn. And let the arms of your heavenly Father embrace you and love you and forgive you completely. To know the love of God. It's not because you've earned it. It's not because you've cleaned up. It's because His love can overwhelm and erase your sin through His Son, Jesus Christ. In fact, that's why Jesus came. The the rebelliousness of your heart and my heart that keeps us running from God, that's called sin. And Jesus went to a cross and he paid the penalty for your sin and for my sin. To remove it so that we might come into the arms of our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. God, I thank you that in this story we see who you are, God. You are a loving Heavenly Father, full of mercy and grace. God, though we've ran from you, you don't stop running. God, because we've run from you, you don't give up on us. God, because we've run from you, you don't say that's enough. You keep pursuing us because you love us more than we can imagine. And so, Lord, I pray for the person in here who's been running from God, and they want to stop running today. Lord, convince them they don't have to do a thing except stop and turn to you. If that's you here today and you you hear your Heavenly Father calling out to you to stop running and receive the love and forgiveness He offers, He can forgive you completely. He will love you unconditionally. He will never leave you nor forsake you. There is a love waiting for you that you can't imagine if you'll simply turn and put your trust in a God who's died in your place. Are you running from God today? Turn to Him, I pray. Make this your prayer. If you're ready to turn back to God, say, God, I'm going to stop running. You can have me. Would you come wrap your arms around me and love me? Maybe like I've never loved before. God, would you forgive me for the things I've done that have been rebellious towards you? I'm putting my whole faith and trust in what Jesus did for me on a cross. I believe he died in my place and forgave me all my sins. And I receive that today, and I want to follow him today. If that's your prayer, you can check a card on your Connect card, which would be beautiful. 
But I'm going to just ask you, while we do this last song, if that was your prayer, there's going to be somebody at the back table, the next step table in the corner, and you can just go to them and let them know. We'll just pray for you and encourage you. But you don't leave here today without somebody knowing of the decision you made. We want to celebrate that with you. And Father, if we're honest, sometimes we've been wrapped in those arms and we know what it means to be forgiven and loved, and yet somehow we still find ourselves wandering from you, avoiding conviction or avoiding serving you. And God, maybe we've wandered our own way away from those things. God, I thank you that you're the God who runs after us too. And you just say, come back, come back, and you'll embrace us again. God, I pray that we'll bend our lives to your will, that we will do what you've asked us to do, that we'll obey you fully and completely. Our yes is on the table before you even ask us to do anything. God, it's your will and your way in our lives. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.